Welcome to Coastal Front. Join us each week as we sit down with the movers and shakers of Vancouver to discuss stories of business, politics, accomplishment, and failure. Our aim is to keep you dialed into what matters most in our city. Now, here's your host, Andrew Johns. Excellent. Well, here we are with Joan Isaacs. You are the MLA for Coquitlam, Coquitlam Burke Mountain. Yes. Thanks for being here today. I'm very excited to have you on our show. Thank you for having me, Andrew. It's exciting to be here. Yeah. Now, before we talk about how you got into politics and some of the important issues that you, we just started talking about this award you won. Yes. And and I did hear about it from a couple of weeks ago. So we've got it up on the screen here and you got a big smile there with your, with your uh, award. Can you yes. talk? tell us what you just got awarded with? Well, it was the Seniors Advocacy Award, yeah. and it was given by uh, a home support uh, services company that's uh, the second largest in North America. Okay. Um, they give this award every year to someone who they feel is speaking up on behalf of seniors, yeah. uh, being an advocate, and uh, somehow can make a political change or change what's going on in the in the world of seniors. So they uh, have six awards in total, okay. uh, four in the U.S. and two in Canada. Wow. And so Homestead so nominated me and uh, awarded me the uh, Senior Advocacy Award for Canada. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. That's, that's really you. big. So you're only one of two Canadian winners this year. One of two. Yes. Wow. It's quite an honor. Wow. I was, I'm very humbled by it. Yeah. Uh, it's very significant award. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been working very hard over the last couple of years to try and bring issues about seniors and their concerns and uh, some of the uh, uh, issues and challenges that they're facing, uh, which incidentally are very similar to the challenges and issues that my parents faced 20 some years ago. Okay. Not a lot has changed. Not a lot has changed. Not a lot has changed. And and people certainly as a family go through the same emotions about when a senior is needing more care or needing support at home or having to actually go into care. Right. So it was an honor to receive um, the award and to be recognized for it. Yeah. I had a reception in my office, invited 60 uh, people that, that came and uh, to support me, and it was wonderful. Oh, great. Well, that's excellent. Well, I'm sure we'll spend some time talking about this during the podcast, because obviously you're your subject matter expert in, and I believe that you're actually even, you're t- one of your titles within the Liberal Party of BC is you are the Seniors critic. Seniors critic. Yes. So I was the seniors critic. I was co-health critic uh, originally. And then we carved out seniors critic out of the uh, health file. Okay. And uh, I was that that up until the time I was appointed as the assistant deputy speaker. Okay. So normally at an assistant deputy speaker level, you don't actually have a portfolio. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. 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 But you're obviously still very passionate about this. Very much so. And as an MLA, I'm passionate about a number of different things. So not just the critic role, but, you know, daycare. Uh, quality of life, uh, yeah. businesses and how they compete, the yeah. economic drivers and how we develop uh, economics in in the Tri-Cities, but yeah. also around the province. Yeah. So many areas as an MLA, I would certainly be interested in. But yeah. Yeah. Of course, seniors I lived yeah. with my parents. Right. Okay. And and so I, I certainly know those challenges. Okay. They lived with you. Took You helped take care of them, did you? Or? Well, my father got sick very early on. He was oh. only 62 oh, and he okay. uh, he had dementia, vascular oh, dementia. At 62? At 62 was oh. the first um, part of the diagnosis. Yeah. And uh, for, for most people that know when they get some kind of a life-changing diagnosis, there's this lead up to something's wrong, yeah. but we don't know what. 
but you suspect something's yeah. wrong. Right. And you live with that for a while. Yeah. And then you get a an actual doctor's diagnosis. Yeah. And then the second part of that journey uh, begins. And you know, life is never going to be the chain. Yeah, the same. it doesn't get better, right? It doesn't get no, better. No. And so there is a, a process that we went through with my father. And yeah. then uh, we eventually, he was in Kelowna uh, with my mom. And then eventually we moved him to uh, Coquitlam. Okay. So he was uh, closer to us. And yeah. 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 And then oh. later my mom was in uh, hospice care. Okay. And uh, she lived in a, a residential home for only about a week. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's yeah. a. I've been through that. I mean, not unfortunately so far, not with my parents, but yeah. I've been through that actually yeah. with one of my close friends when he got cancer. And so, yes, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. So those the hospices size. are really uh, like they're a critical part of the closure. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and the care of the uh, care yeah. of the you know sort of end of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it's funny that three years before that, yeah. I had taken the hospice course. Oh. Uh, because I was, I just had a lot of time yeah. uh, that I was looking at how could I volunteer and give some something back in the community, and okay. that was one of the things that was interested uh, of interest to me. Um, again, because of my experience with my parents, with, your, with parents, yeah. Uh, so I had no idea that that training would yeah. come in yeah. later. Yeah, and so our whole family kind of benefited from that experience because we kind of knew what to expect. Right. And it was really a lot about sharing your story and celebrating life while a person is still there. Well, they're still there. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, I always yeah. wonder about, you know, I always like to see when people get awards or recognition while they're still alive, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, because there are some great people out there that contribute a lot to society. And it's always nice when they get recognition, big recognition, while they're still around to appreciate it. Yes. You know, and see Actually, it. I have a cousin yeah. in uh, Calgary who uh-huh. many, many years ago, so this would be, ooh, I don't know, 25 years ago or more, even more, Yeah. Um, he had his funeral while he was still alive. He had terminal cancer. Oh, oh, wow. And he was written up in the Calgary Herald, and it was quite a big, bold step to have wow. your own funeral before yeah. you actually left. It was yeah. pretty interesting. And you obviously, I'm assuming you went? I didn't. You because, didn't but, no, yeah. no, I didn't, because I lived in BC, and yeah. I was working. I couldn't get there. We but, weren't able to go. Yeah. But I did. Use, I used to speak to him on the phone quite yeah. frequently. Yeah. 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 Wow. Well, wow, yeah. that's really neat. Well, Joan, we will definitely get back into the seniors. Let's sure. talk a little about about pre-politics. Mm. I mean, you, you're, first of all, just to be clear, you're a fairly new MLA. I am. Yeah. I am. Only two years into it. Okay. And uh, it's a steep leave, uh, learning curve. Yeah. Uh, there's really no orientation <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or booklet of yeah. how to. Yeah. Uh, it's really trial and error. Yeah. And you get thrown into it right away. Like having kids. It's It kind of is like that. <laughs> yeah. Except everyone's watching. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's a little bit different. It could, it could be intimidating if you let it be. Right. Uh, but I, I guess I feel like I have uh, some thing to bring to the table because I've had a, a business background and yep. own many businesses and been in the financial services industry for you know over 30 years yep. uh, and most of that I owned and operated a, a mutual fund dealerships so right I certainly know the the ins and outs and then of course when you're talking to clients you hear their stories as well and uh, so you realize how deep things go and yep. how many sectors and um, get affected when there's changes in the marketplace or in in business cycles or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. I feel that that is uh, a good contribution to bring to the table. Oh, I totally agree. It reminds me of um, when I was at university and I used to look at my profs into two categories and I always appreciated the profs that came from private sector and they were just teaching a course part-time 
or they had at least spent part of their career outside of the university realm. Mm-hmm. Then you had those smaller su- subjection. No knock to those people, but the people literally were lifelong university. They went to mm-hmm. school there, got their degrees, got their PhDs, and then started teaching. And they never really worked in the real world, as I like to say. Whereas yeah. it's in the same same sort of spirit, like someone like yourself coming to the table, you've ran a small business, you've employed people, you've paid taxes, you know how hard it is to run a business. Uh, you may or may not have had success, but you sure as heck would have gone through a lot of a lot of challenges and failures. Yeah, and absolutely. That's the kind of stuff that I yeah. think is invaluable. Whether it's uh, you're leading um, a school um, yeah. or you're leading yeah. the province in, in governing the you know the country yeah. uh, the province. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Failures is a is a, a an interesting word uh-huh. uh, because I I think it's subjective. You, right. You just have a different experience right. than what yeah. you thought. Yeah. Sure. Right. And you grow yeah. from that experience and yeah. you use that to your advantage. Um, and you become smarter or more focused or however you want to use it, but it, it's really you, you take that experience and you make the make it better or yeah. you, you make the best out of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so you, you ran these various businesses, largely working in the mutual fund industry. Yes. yeah. Uh, for most of your career yeah for, yeah for a number of it yes a okay. uh, number of years and uh, I sold my business okay. and then I went into business development so I okay. was helping advisors across the province yeah. um, with their business and right. and more about raising their awareness okay and finding their niche uh, so there were 60,000 licensed registered licensed um, financial planners okay. across uh, Canada why are you any different and yeah. why would I want to deal with you right and there were lots of reasons that but people often don't identify their own reasons. Yeah. They need someone to help them with that. Yeah. So I, I, I would uh, do that and, and help with uh, organizing their administrative um, issues and, and yeah. hiring, recruiting, that kind of thing. And then um, worked and, and with- And who was it? Did you work for yourself in it, or did you work for a company? Well, uh, the or? company that bought me, yeah. um, I worked as a business development with them for two okay. years and I actually went around and bought other companies and folded them into this bigger oh, okay. company. So there yeah. was kind of a cultural <laughs> change too of integrating different companies into one and of course it's different because usually in a small dealership there's the hierarchy and and the top salespeople who in a new company may not be in that hierarchy anymore or be top salespeople so there's a lot of sort of working with people to make sure that they don't lose um, their momentum yeah. and and their confidence that what you're doing is is fantastic and yeah. it, you're a big part of this contribution to a, a bigger company. Yeah. Um, but I did that for a while and then I I worked for uh, another company that uh, I had been friends with for 20 years before and he wanted to buy our company and we ended up selling it to someone else but uh, went back with him and did uh, business development there as well. Okay. And then um, actually I I, uh, did some wholesaling too. Oh, did you really? (laughs) I did. I worked with AIC, which is Michael Lee Chin. Yeah, absolutely. I used to buy their mutual. I don't even know if they're, uh, they must have Buy, hold and prosper was their That's right. Yes. Yeah. 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 My early days of starting the business, I had clients buying their funds. Yes. They had one fund. I remember it was just phenomenal performance. But yes. are they still around today? I think they are, but they're in a different name. They're in different a different name. name. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As many, many companies yeah. are, there's yeah. lots of mergers. And certainly over the years, there's been many, many mergers yeah. and uh, company names that have changed. And it's yeah. hard to even identify. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, who's left. disruption in that space. Yeah. So you yeah. were a wholesaler for them and then... 
Yeah, and, and then uh, I I was a wholesaler with uh, um, Tim McIlvain over in uh, Victoria as well. Okay, and uh, um, and then at the same time I was doing some community work. Okay, so I was involved on the homelessness task force in okay. uh, Tri Cities. Okay. And um, then I did Homes for Good Ending Homelessness, yeah. which was um, a homes first project yeah. in, in uh, uh, Coquitlam and Tri-Cities. Okay. And, um, and just for those listeners yeah. who may not be familiar, can you just be clarify where the Tri-Cities are? So that would be Coquitlam, yeah. um, Port Coquitlam yeah. and Port Moody. Yeah. Okay, yes, great. yes. Yeah. And and it's some to some extent we're including Belcara and Anmore. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. because they they we we all travel the same roadways. Yes. We're all yeah. part of the one big family. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. the five boroughs is what I think it should yeah. be called. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. But that was not going it's not going anywhere yeah. yet. Yeah. <laughs> but if New York can do it, yeah, I think we sure. could do Why it not? too. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I do too. <laughs> um so anyways, then I, I uh uh, basically um, worked with uh, developing all the the intake processes and everything on the uh, homes for good and okay. uh, housing people yeah and um, was there or is there a homeless issue in the tri-cities? yes yes it was growing uh-huh. uh, um, as every community has uh, a growing homelessness uh, population and uh, we were in the process of getting um, a, a transition home uh, and shelter built which was 3030 Gordon uh, and so that was um, uh, one big project that would help, um, but there were many other nonprofits that were uh, organized and helping people on the ground as yeah. well. So, and it still is continues to be a very big uh, problem. It didn't go away, and uh, in some of the sh- transition houses and shelters now, you find that it's not just the local people that are there accessing the resources. There are people that have come from other areas that are accessing resources too. Oh. Yeah, because so, they, I guess, hear about it. They hear about it, and it's just, um, it's just, where can you get those the access to those resources? I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're doing this uh, volunteer work, and 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 what sort of give us an, a time frame? What 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 when is this? Well, roughly? so that I, I started that about 2010. Okay. So that my first project was um, a company called New View Society, okay. which is uh, mental health, yeah, uh, and addictions. Um, uh, organization been around for 40 years okay. no one had ever heard of them they're very low-key and I was trying to I was on the board first but trying to raise awareness of the services that they were providing because I really felt that they help helped to manage our homelessness um, crisis sure because they had people in services and programs. Yeah. Um, they had group homes that were supervised. Um, they had uh, people checking in on them and lots of uh, social uh, activities that kept people connected. Right. And I thought they were just, you know, no one knows about these people and they're doing a fantastic job. Yeah. And so they had outgrown their um, uh, house that they had and they were doing a capital campaign project which was about a $3 million project. And so I switched from board of director to their fundraising uh, chair. Okay. Uh, and uh, raised uh, some of the money to um, uh, go forward with that project. Wow, okay. And so it's a fantastic project. But I learned a lot about mental health. Yeah. And uh, and uh, got to know a lot of the people there that were suffering. And um, they were fantastic people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah fantastic great. people. That's great you got yeah. involved with that. 
And and then yeah. and then from there, um, how, where did you go from there to? Because that was about 2010. You were saying yes, yes. And then um, um, what else did I do now? Um, you were saying you also. Have to cut. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. We, you were you were saying that you also took a hospice. Yeah, I took a hospice course. course. Yeah. yeah, that would have been probably in about uh, two thousand and eight. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was before. Yeah, that yeah. was before. I sort of yeah. did that at the same time, and uh, read a very interesting book called "The Art of Listening." Okay, which is a very good book to read. And that's uh, for people who are uh, needing to deal with the, this type of or or, or, is, or just to be a companion. Okay. to someone that is going through that. Yeah, um, because a lot of people like to end up talking about themselves. Right. And really you want the the person to talk about themselves. It's right. not about you, it's yeah. about them. So it becomes a listening exercise. Yeah. Um, but it was more my way of doing things anyways, because yeah. I've always, even in my sales career, have always been more consultative, Yeah. which is listening. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. years ago, I remember uh, the former firm I worked at, uh, the, the uh, one of the founders and CEO, Ken Shields said, um, we were born with two ears and one mouth, and we should use those in that uh, in that ratio. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. I remember Ken Shields. Oh, do you remember Ken? Yeah, yeah. Old, old name from the past. Yeah, yeah. he was a very inspiring yeah. guy for me to, when I started in the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when did the uh, when did the world of politics? I mean, it's obvious that you had you were not politically driven, or you're not a you're not a lifelong politician by any stretch. So when did that come onto the picture for you? Well, it it came on when an opportunity arose. So okay. so the terms for MLAs are every four years. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not frequent yeah. that they turn over. So yeah. there's always two or three terms often for an MLA. Yeah. So the opportunity doesn't present itself that often. And Have you been thinking about getting I into politics? I hadn't been thinking okay. about it seriously. I thought maybe one day I would do it. Yeah. But I'll tell you what really sort of made me take the leap is... Okay. When I was on the Joint Family Court and Youth Justice Committee, yeah. we did a thing on bullying. Okay. And it was um, just about 10 days after Amanda Todd's suicide. Okay. And the whole community was just in grieving yeah. for this loss of this young girl. Yeah. And it really came to the forefront of what bullying is, how rampant it was in so many different areas. And so we put on a... Um, a forum and we had seven experts come in and they were experts in each one of their different fields. So employment, in sexuality, in um, house and on the street, in the schoolyard. And and we had over 400 people come and attend um, the session. We partnered with Red Cross and they did a fantastic uh, video called Bullying Ends With uh, Me. Okay. And uh, it, it became a really big thing in the community. And the feedback forms was, we need more. So we ended up doing another six series okay. of different um, bullying uh, tactics and how to not be a bystander okay. for bullying. And that's how you end it, is yeah. not being a bystander. Yeah, absolutely. You take, you take some intervention action. Yeah. Um, and, and, so, so, and sorry, Joan, what, this was through what organization? The, the Joint Family Court and Youth Justice Committee. Okay. So that's a municipal, it doesn't exist anymore, but oh, it's a okay. municipal uh, committee, yeah. uh, a statutory committee. It's evolved now to uh, uh, restorative justice, and I was also on that board for restorative justice. Okay, but but essentially, um, the uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, you <laughs> we were talking about the bullying, like getting oh, yes. involved in you yeah. know, addressing how rampant bullying 
was. Yes, yeah. yeah. So when when we had finished off our series, yes, um, we have at the end of our term, uh, we were to write a report about our experience and anything we wanted to change in the justice system. So I wrote an eighteen page report and to uh, send it to the Minister of Justice federally and provincially and ask them to change the criminal code. And I had a great response back from them. I wanted the police to document on their um, documentation when they were uh, processing files to indicate act of bullying or bullying so that it could be scanned, it could be highlighted, word find bullying because it wasn't the punch Two months later, that right. was the incident. It was the bullying that led up led to up the to incident. It. Right. Yeah. So they. That's a really good point. Yeah. 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 And so did they, they were. They start doing that. They didn't actually do that, no? okay. um, but they did come up with the federally. They did come up with the sexting uh, text. So it's a, a criminal offense to right. send a, a sexual text. Yeah. Uh, a picture without a person's consent. Yeah. Um, but the comments were well received. And oh, so, so when I saw that and how positive the comments were, yeah. I thought, I know I've always made a difference somewhere yeah. um, and that this would be uh, a natural path through the political realm um, to make a bigger um, change and, and to make a difference because it's all through policy yeah. and regulation. Yeah. And what better place to have a policy change than at the... At, at the government level, at the government at the MLA, level, yeah, MLA level, MLA level, yeah, yeah. So when did you when did you write that eighteen page? Uh, that was in twenty twelve. Twenty twelve, and then mm-hmm. when did your opportunity come up to actually? Twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. Okay. Yeah. So it was who was a the few MLA in your in your Douglas Horn was the MLA. And Douglas he, Horn. Yes, okay. and he was a two time, uh, so one and a half, I guess. Yeah. And uh, he vacated the seat to run for the uh, federal conservative okay. party. And so that left uh, a vacancy. Yeah. And so it triggered a by-election. Oh, I see. Okay. So I ran in the by-election. And he was a BC MLA. Yes, uh, he BC was a BC Liberal. liberal? Yeah, okay. BC Liberal. It's okay. always always has been a BC Liberal riding. Okay. Uh, for the most part. Yeah. Okay. And in during the by-election, uh, it went NDP. Okay. Uh, for the eighteen months, and then in the general election, it went back. Did to you run to in the by election? I did. You did, and you, I and did. you lost. And I lost, but oh, uh, only by. 400 votes or something, I think. Yeah. It no, wasn't very much. It was actually quite a high level yeah. considering that uh, most by-elections are not won yeah. um, by the government in power. Oh. I think there's only been three over 100 years or something like that. It's oh, just wow. not common. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I knew kind of going in, yeah. it was a bit of a... I didn't know that chat. stat was stacked against you. In the... It is kind of stacked. But, yeah. but then again, if you don't take the jump, yeah. then during the by-election and kind of... Um, Put yourself forward it does help yeah uh and and certainly you get to know what the issues are when you're on the doorstep talking yeah. to people sure they they really do open up yeah. and, and tell you the issues and that's that's the best way yeah to find out what's going on yeah and uh so you're just so much better prepared uh when it comes to the um uh, general election yeah yeah, yeah. And, if, and if you hang you, in there yeah absolutely if you yeah go in for yeah. round two yeah you gotta like, hang in yeah and like you said earlier <laughs> You made reference. I mean, used the term failure, but you said it's it's just an experience you didn't expect. Yes, yes. And, and I'm sure yes. you learned a lot from that. Absolutely. Yeah. I know a lot of yeah. I know a lot of people who um, ran a by election, didn't win, yeah. and then actually uh, one of the city councilors for Saanich, uh, Rebecca, and I always get her last name wrong. It's like uh, Maricero. 
Yeah. Um, Mercero. It's probably French. Yeah, Mercero. Really wonderful woman. And she ran in the by-election and and lost. And actually, I think she even ran um, into, uh, she ran a city council, but, uh, and she ran another time and didn't win. I can't remember. I think it was twice she lost. But anyways, the last municipal election, she ended up getting more votes in the in the district of Sandwich than anybody else. Wow. So it goes to show you that you got to stick it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes that name recognition makes a difference. Right. Uh, And like for me, I wasn't political and nobody knew who I was. Sure. And and actually when I had my business, most of my transactions were downtown. Right. And my network was downtown. My advisors were not in my area. Tri-Cities is where your home was. Yeah. Yeah. So you lost the by-election by Mm -hmm. 400 votes. Something like that. Okay. And then you go into, so that was, and then 18 months later, there's a general election. And you go up to run against your uh, competitor with yeah. the NDP. Did yeah. that person, who's it? Was Jody it? Wickens. Jody Wickens. And mm-hmm. she, did she rerun for her yes. seat? Okay. Yeah. And yeah. then how how did you do that? I mean, obviously one, but what, what, do you know what the, do you remember what the results were? Yes. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever forget them <laughs> yeah. because it, uh, it was a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, first of all, there was a, a counting error by Elections BC, so that was rectified. So 153, I think it was, votes came back to me that were somehow missed. So really? that, yeah. So it was like, oh my goodness, we're way up and then we're way down and then we're up again. And it was kind of neck and neck, very uh, kind of nerve wracking yeah, or no neck kidding. and neck. Um, and uh, it basically was um, a recount and then another sort of recount. Yeah. And at 11.30, I was in the um, the uh, uh, Westwood uh, Golf Club, which is where we were having our, our um, celebration or whatever yeah. it was going to be. And um, it was actually one of the news people of Global came up and says, well, they've just uh, counted you now. It's 11.30 at night. Yeah, they've just uh, designated you now as the winner. So I was up on stage telling everybody, it's not going to happen tonight. Everybody go home and (laughs) we'll see what happens. And then this guy gets up and says this. So it's like, okay, well, I'll I'll wait till here from my campaign manager (laughs) for for the official word. But it was only uh, a win by 87 votes. 87? 87 votes, yeah. And how many people voted yeah. in your in, in your riding? Oh, boy, roughly? I don't know what the number it was, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. If it's a well guess, like it was like 10,000 or? Oh, no, yeah. it would have been uh, more like 30-some thousand. 87 votes. 30, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Um, Just goes to show you that every vote counts. Every vote does count. Yeah. And honestly, Andrew, I know all of those households. Really? Yes, yeah. because I, um, again, being a listener and consultative yeah. Yeah. Uh, approach to things, um, when people were unsure yeah. and what you know didn't have the background, um, had questions, I spent the time at the door trying yeah. to uh, help them work through and yeah. help them with their research. Yeah. And I tried <clears throat> to be as factual as possible. And um, it, it turned out that that was a great benefit because I got a lot of um, emails after yeah. um, thanking me for the time at the door yeah. and that they had voted for me yeah. and that they uh, appreciated that I listened to their concerns. Yeah. So I think that really made the difference. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, yeah. congratulations. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. So it's now been, what, about almost two years, I think, mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. you... Yeah. May, okay. it would have been May, two years. May. May. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, so just over two Yeah, years. just okay. over two. <clears throat> and... Um, so how do you find it? 
You enjoying it? Are you gonna Are you gonna run again? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna run again. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, you you it's sort of a real learning curve. So I there's get. there's a number of different roles really. Yeah. There's the Victoria role yeah. when you're there and you're in the house and there's question period and there's estimates and yeah. there's all the things that are going on and and trying to get media coverage and or not trying to get media yeah. coverage, <laughs> but all the stuff that goes on there. Yeah, and and that's where you know a lot of the policy making things and decisions come from. That's yep. certainly where all the votes come from. Um, then there's the constituency office, which is all the people that are coming in and, and need help yeah, and sure. need assistance. Yeah. And a lot of times it's just how you navigate through a system. But other times they're, they're really sad stories. Um, you know, I have a number of people that are um, concerned because they don't have enough money to pay for their medicine. Okay. Right? And it's life altering. Right. Or it could mean uh, death. Sure. And so, you know, how do you help them? Yeah. And if we help in one area, then how do how can we not help in another area? Yeah. It's tough decisions. Yeah. And you're really sitting across the table from somebody that doesn't have a long time. Yeah. Um, and just doesn't have the money. Yeah, sure. Right. So, yeah. and and I, the worst one for me was um, when they had the physicians' um, guidelines change for opioids. Okay. And uh, a constant of mine had been thirty years on opioids okay, and that allowed him to function and function without pain. So you could say he was an addict, yeah. but he was really just dependent yeah. on opioids to function. Okay, And his uh, prescription was pulled back because of the guidelines. And he went through. And sorry, can you go, Joan, for yes. a second? Because I don't actually know what you're talking about. Yeah, so can so you go this, into a little more detail? Yes, so that I'm so, sure there's other listeners that don't know what you're talking about as well. Sure. Yeah. So so what happened was that with the onset of the opioid crisis, um, there was a certain amount of concern that uh, physicians may have been over-prescribing opioids, which led to addictions or ongoing uh, dependency on drugs. And Mm -hmm. so the physicians themselves came up with a policy to um, and and guidelines to reduce um, the um, prescription for opioids. And so people who were already on opioids and for many, many years, as is this case, um, you can argue that they're addicted, but yeah. they're also dependent on sure. it just to function yeah. Yeah, normally they're, they're and healthily. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this particular um, uh, constituent had his prescription rolled back. And by, uh, do, you, do you remember by what percentage? You know, do you uh, well, it would be in the file, but it was, yeah, yeah it, it goes from so many millimeters down to so many yeah. other millimeters. And it was yeah. over time. Uh, but not enough time. Yeah. And he went through withdrawals. Really? And it was terrible. And yeah. he would phone me sometimes at 9.30 at night and say, I don't know if I'm going to make it through the night. Really? The pain was just unbearable. Yeah. And it was like, I felt so sad yeah. that I couldn't help him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, these are sometimes the unintended consequences when and would this is, are made. I mean, made. you mentioned that this is the uh, physicians that put this uh, yeah. initiative together, yeah. but was the decision finally then made at the provincial level? As a, or, no, the no. physicians would set their own <clears throat> guidelines. I see. Yeah. Okay. And the intention, of course, was to, you know, um, reduce the uh, dependency or um, the prescriptions to opioids. Right. And uh, people were getting addicted from painkillers yeah, sure. because they had injuries and, and so on. And a certain amount of the population would get addicted. Yeah. 
and uh, hence that's what that's what okay. some of the problem was. That wasn't definitely all of the problem, but yeah. it was some of the problem. And so that was their their way of um, um, managing that crisis. Yeah. Yes, but it had unintended consequences. Where people like my constituent were really hit hard. Yeah. And uh, really suffered. Really, yeah. really suffered. And um, how have you advocated for those constituents at in your role, considering you're not a physician? You probably don't. I mean, is it just by the fact that you're an MLA? Maybe you can pick up the phone and call some. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We we made as many calls as we could yeah. um, to to help him and yeah. uh, spoke to his doctor uh, a couple of times. And uh, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. And and of course, you don't want. That's the last thing you want is MLAs interfering right. with other organizations' policies. Yeah. Um, they, they've obviously come to that for their, yeah. their own reasoning. Yeah. Uh, and we know it was to, uh, help manage yeah. the opioid crisis. But like you said, an unintended consequence. Yeah. How's yeah. this person doing today? Any yeah. Idea? He's in very rough shape. Really? Very rough shape. And yeah. is it just that he doesn't have the money to cover the difference or he actually can't even get the prescription? He can't get the, the prescription. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So what would and you... And one of the suggestions was for yeah. him to go to a, a pain clinic. Uh-huh. Um, there's one in Surrey, mm-hmm. but the um, the uh, waiting list was something like 18 months. Yeah. Um, when you're talking to people with chronic pain, yeah. there's usually a mobility issue as well. For sure there so is. So yeah. it's not like he could just jump on transit yeah. and get to um, a pain clinic in yeah. Surrey, it, it's not possible. Yeah. So it's it has other complications um, to it. So using the, I, using this person as an example, what would you, as an MLA, if you were in a position where you had, uh, you were the governing party, yeah. how would you, yeah. how, what would you do to make that change for this person and other people in their situation? Well, I wouldn't interfere with the physician's okay. guideline policy because yeah. that would be up to them. But yeah. I think I would make the point that there's a difference between addiction, uh-huh. which is an, a, a disease, yeah. versus dependency on a drug that just helps you function through the day right. and keep your pain management under right. control. I, I yeah. think that's the difference. And could you, as a government, could the provincial government make some kind of change that won't won't challenge the physicians, but at the same time support somebody like that? Or would you have to partner with the physicians to change I think it? you would have to partner yeah. with the, the physicians because it's their guidelines yeah. for the prescriptions so i guess it seems it sounds to me like part of your role uh, unintended to expect or maybe something you didn't wouldn't expect going into this is that you're advocating um because of your you know leadership and and powerful position yeah. to these physicians to at least enlighten them on one of the unintended consequences of the choices they made yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Let's talk about seniors because we talk, we started with that mm-hmm. uh and it's something you're obviously passionate about what are some of the things that uh, our big big issue. I'm obviously not a senior, but parents have recently become seniors. Um, what are some of the issues that seniors are dealing with today in BC that you feel could be better addressed that aren't being addressed today? Well, I think the biggest issue yeah. is um, seniors who want to stay in their homes. Okay. And we know that they actually do better if they stay in their home. Yeah. Um, they're familiar with their surroundings. They know their home. They know their neighbors. Um, that they've lived there for a long time. They're very comfortable there. Yeah. Um, they'd like to stay there, but they don't have the support to stay there. Okay. And so I think that would be a big focus is uh, providing better home support for seniors so that they could stay in their home. Okay. Um, preventative stuff. Uh, seniors that fall, 
they fall usually in their home. And it's something that could have been preventable. With a proper assessment, maybe rugs have to be changed. Um, maybe they have to get some uh, renovation done in their uh, bathroom, yeah. uh, in the kitchen, um, stairways, things like that that are preventative yeah. that really allow a senior to function and live life in their own home. Right. When something happens, like a fall or a break or something, it's very hard to recover. The older you are, the harder it is to recover. Yeah. And then often these patients go to acute care. Mm-hmm. And that's the most cost, costly, costly care. For the province. For yeah. the province. And right. it takes up beds that could otherwise be used from someone else that needs right. them, right? Right. And so it would be preventative. Okay. So um, are these services that you've talked about... Um, are they available to seniors today, but just in limited capacity? Is there uh, what, yes. what kind of what kind yeah. of changes would you make? Yeah, you, so you know? they're they are they are available, uh-huh. but it's it's the cost of the the, the uh, service and the support. So okay. Home Instead is one yeah. that provides you know bathing, uh, cleaning. Uh, meals, outings, takes you to medical appointments, those kinds of things. And many others do too. But they're all private care. Oh, I see. Uh, So you pay for that. Yeah. So Um, if you have the money, you're okay. Yes. For the most part. Yes. But if if you don't. But if you don't, then you're under the health authority. Okay. And then you're under the bureaucracy of uh, when a person can come, uh, what their shift might be. Uh, what they're paid and what capacity um, they have while they're supporting you in the home. Okay. Right. So I think I think it would be um, great to have a blend yeah. of partnership. Yeah. Um, but we just need more people mm-hmm. that are actually going to come out to the homes and 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 um, support uh, seniors. And it hasn't been the most exciting career. Yeah. A lot of people don't see that as a really exciting career, although people that are in it love it. Right, sure. They love it. They Absolutely. love looking after seniors. Yeah. And there's no uh, better compassionate person at the other end than a senior. Yeah, absolutely. They've seen it all. Yeah, they sure have. And they really don't they care anymore. Yeah, they really do. They have fantastic <laughs> stories. They don't care. And yeah. they don't. And they don't. Shouldn't we all be living life like that? Totally, yeah. Right? Like, why are we still concerned yeah. about so many different things? Yeah. Uh, seniors have got it right. We're, yeah. we're thinking, oh, well. You know, I'm yeah. still here, and uh, and and of course they've grown yeah. with lots of experiences, not yeah. failures, but yeah. experiences. Um, you know, loss of life, yeah. losing children, yeah. uh, having catastrophes, yeah. um, having to move. You know, lots of them moved from uh, Europe. Yeah, uh, came here, never saw their parents again. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a tough time for seniors. Yeah. They've yeah, they've gone a through a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I always had the fortunate. Uh, experience of taking my grandfather mm. who's 95 mm. still really healthy and I took him and my mom to Scotland a couple of weeks ago because his parents immigrated to, to Vancouver in 1912 from Scotland wow and uh, and I managed to get him on a plane he got worked up for it he's he's he was out walking every day for like two months before trying to get himself Good prepared for him. and yeah and I learned so much I mean I've always learned lots yeah. of my grandfather but I learned yeah. a lot on that trip yes. just listening to him talk yes. and telling you yeah. stories I always joke that the yeah. best part of being his age is you could probably just make up stories by this point. No one else will be able to call you on your on your on your story because no one else is around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? so, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's part yeah. of the fun. Yeah, exactly. For them. Exactly. <laughs> Let's yeah. just see how far I can go yeah. with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, anyway, but uh, I, yeah, yeah. No, I was just going <clears> to <throat> say that you know one of the challenges is mm-hmm. um, people just entering 
the field mm-hmm. uh, as being uh, a career that they'd want to okay. choose. And there used to be some negatives. It used to be a high injury uh, uh-huh. rate, um, you know, a lot of turnover, uh, a lot of different patients uh, and residents that they yeah. were dealing with. But all those things can be uh, managed. Yeah. Um, but there is a shortage yeah. of 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 staffing yeah. and it that's so is that, that's so is that maybe one of the bigger issues is, maybe is not just money but also absolutely. A, a labor shortage yeah absolutely it's, it, my observation is that uh from the care homes that i've been to through my grandfather mm-hmm. and my great aunt and mm-hmm. it seems like most of the people that work in this industry are mostly younger immigrant women mm-hmm. from places like philippines and india mm-hmm. um it doesn't seem like you find a lot of uh you know i guess born and raised canadians so is the solution to maybe recruit more immigrants from these developing countries who will come over and do that work or is it to pay more or what, what do you what do you think the solution well, is it's probably a combination <clears throat> of a number of different things uh-huh. um, but I think part of it is it's not talked about in the school system as okay. a career option right oh, okay you know people aren't talking about it yeah. um, I think we'll see some changes and some shifts there yeah and the reason I say that is um, I know a number of daycares now that go visit the senior homes yeah and they put on dances and performance yeah. performances and it's just such a lovely experience yeah. Yeah. Uh, to witness so that generation will grow up being comfortable with yeah. seniors right we're still at this seniors are old yeah. you know they expired you know what can they possibly contribute? Yeah, sure. Um, which is just so wrong. Yeah. Uh, because there's a lot to con- contribute. As you say, even the stories alone yeah. can be inspiring and motivating. Yeah. Well, um, if you look at the indigenous communities, I mean, they actually, they champion the elders, right? Yes. I mean, they, yeah. they, like that's yeah. a core to their, yes. Yes. their, their, uh, their culture. Yes. And many other cultures, yeah. um, the elders live with their relatives. Right. Right, you uncle yeah. so and so is living with you. Your grandparents are living sure. with you. Good point. And we yeah. see a little bit of that now yeah. with uh, in-law suites. Yeah. Right. We see people aging in place because they now have a place to age in place. Yeah. With their um, children upstairs and grandchildren, yeah. and so they have that social aspect, which yeah. is very very important for for seniors. Yeah. But if you look at some of the just the shifts in how seniors are treated. Yeah. And you look at some of the um, assisted living and independent living homes. I mean, they're like resorts. Right. They're fantastic. Yeah. There's something going on all the time, and yeah. it is just like a neighborhood. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And they have their own individual um, doors with their own individual, you know, signage or whatever it is. So it's it looks like you're walking down a street. Yeah, absolutely. And I, so that wasn't there even just a decade ago. Yeah. So it's, I think we'll see some shifts where people will see that actually it is fun there. Yeah. It's just that they haven't been around seniors. Right. A lot of people just have never had that interaction with grandparents. You're yeah. very lucky that you have a grandparent that's yeah. that old. Yeah. I, oh, of, I'm super yeah, lucky. Yeah. Lot, lots of people just don't. Mm-hmm. And so they've never had that experience. But I think if people did and there was more interaction with seniors, yeah. people would, would love it. Yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. Well, let's go back to your uh, campaign to become an elected MLA. I'm sure there's plenty of seniors in the Tri-Cities, but they weren't probably the only people, I mean, only people voting for you. What were, what were some of the topics that either got you think got you elected, uh, that you connected with people on, or are things that you're advocating for today uh, beyond the seniors? I'm not to dis- discredit all the work you're doing in that sure, space, certainly. but there's it's one topic, but there's probably other areas that you yeah. are are first of mind in the Tri-Cities, like are things like 
affordable housing, yes. um, employment taxes. Uh, yes. you know, it seems like there's a lot of taxes these days. So. Oh, yes, yeah. uh, definitely. <clears throat> it's, it's funny, um, Coquitlam is a bit of a bedroom community. Okay. So in my riding, yep. next door riding, there's very industrial. Um, when you get into Port Coquitlam, it's, it's industrial uh, blend of residential, but Coquitlam proper in mm-hmm. my riding is a lot of high rises, yep. Coquitlam center, a few bigger businesses, but a lot of smaller retail shops. Okay. So affordability is an issue for housing, yeah. as it is everywhere. Yeah. Um, but the bigger issue for the business people is the tax assessment okay. and the levels of uh, taxes um, that are put on business owners, the cost of running a business. Of course, the employer health tax now yes. on top of this. Yeah. So this is big. it's very big. Yeah. Um, it's a bit um, of a double dip this year, isn't it? It certainly is. No, it's this year. year. Yes. Uh, um, So you're you're paying MSP and employer's health tax. Um, But we know there's restaurants um, that are considering whether or not they're going to stay open. Sure. Uh, One restaurant, and he's a a, a grocer and a baker and just a fabulous um, uh, downtown sort of event and place to go for for a nice evening out. Um, He had 85 staff. When the uh, employer health tax started to come in, he decided to let the um, group plan drop. Okay. And he dropped the group plan because he just couldn't see his way into paying this. So yeah. there are 85 people without yeah. their group without plan Without benefits now. now. Yeah. Yeah. So since the employer health tax has come in, yeah. he's laid off 20 people. Wow. So he's down to 65 people. Wow. So and, and this those is people, big. And they're not getting a group. When you, say, when you say group plan, do you mean benefits or do you mean? Uh, benefits. Contra- yeah, benefits. benefits. Yeah, yeah. The benefits. Yeah. 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 Hey, Ross, by the way, while we're doing this, just so the listeners can uh, understand about the Tri-Cities in your particular riding, why don't we see if we can pull Jones riding up in a map so that we can kind of see the area you're talking about. Sure. Yeah. So he's down. So this owner is down to so 60, 65, 65. And, and paying, you know, his, his tax is 75000 a year. That's his, uh, his property taxes? His property tax, just okay. before he gets out of bed. Wow. That's what he's that, got to pay. And that's his municipal taxes. That's his municipal okay. taxes. Yep. Uh, and then he's got to pay all the other taxes. Yep. He's got to pay his employers, employees. Yep. Uh, he's got to pay for his shipping of his material and his and yep. all his goods and services. Can we at least give him a plug? He's tell, tell everybody to go, go, go eat there and try and help him... Uh, prop up business? Oh, I'm sure he wouldn't mind. Yeah. But it, it's Urban Gate. Urban Gate. Yeah. Okay. So if you're Payment. down in if you're downtown Coquitlam, yes. go to Urban Gate. It is the best Persian food. Is it really? It really is. Yeah. We we host a lot of events there because yeah. the food is so great. And it's a bakery and he brings things in. Uh does he make those long breads that you can get? He does. Eat, he and does. Eat it with hummus. And the uh tomatoes. Yeah. Like the it takes eight hours to bake these tomatoes. Really? Yes. Wow. He does it all, all, and it's 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 any 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 kind of Iranian uh, food or Persian food yeah. um, that's just uh, sort of for that um, ethnic food group yeah. is available yeah. there. But there's other restaurants too. Okay. Who uh, one another one that uh, told me that um, he's figured out now he works five to six weeks with no pay, just to pay his taxes. This is the owner. Yeah. 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 So, you know, this is a, a, a bigger chain, brand yeah. chain, yeah. Uh, who probably used to make about 100000 yeah. take it take home pay yeah. for hours. He's in there every day, hour after hour, managing 50 people. Yeah. And uh, that's gone to pay his uh, employer health tax. Yeah. Yeah. So now he's he's got a business risk. Yeah. All this capital at stake. Yeah. 
and he's not making any money. Yeah. So you have so, to wonder. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know. Well, I'm I'm a business owner, so to speak. I employ 20 people myself here. Yeah. Yeah. At Canaccord Genuity, uh, I also have an outside a, a cryptocurrency business with yeah. three soon to have four employees, and we do everything we can from a perks perspective to try and keep them around. It's a yeah. you know we're at all time um, low unemployment levels, and for most people that sounds like a really good thing, but in some ways it's difficult when you're a business owner trying to oh, uh, yeah. retain good people, quality people. Yeah, yeah it's and, it's the biggest <clears throat> challenge. Yeah, it, it is the biggest challenge yeah. is to get good people and yeah. have reliable. Yeah. Uh, people, but you know this this employer health tax. It hurts not only small businesses yeah. but big businesses. Yeah, oh, and for there, sure. And there's yeah. there's some kind of uh, a notion yeah. that if you're in business, you must be wealthy. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, you actually pay yeah. most of things. You, you, most of the revenue is paid out in capital or wages yeah. or something. It's a very oh, yeah. very small margin. But and you're no, taking and I, on all the risk. And you take on all the risk. Like no one's going to give you a. a backup prize no, if you fail. That's right. And who's on the hook for the lease? You are the business owner. Absolutely. 100%. You can't yeah. walk away from that without <laughs> no. going bankrupt. So, yeah. you know, I don't know, does that make people happy? Um, yeah. There's another employer, uh, Gabby and Jules, and, and uh, they're, a, they're a bakery in, yeah. in Port Moody. Um, they live in my uh, riding and they have a couple of other um, coffee um, bistros, uh, yeah. Cafe Divano. And um, they have an autistic uh, child. Yeah. And they have about 15 uh, autistic adults that work in the bakery. Wow. And this gal, Lisa, is absolutely amazing. Uh, so the pies are fantastic. But she works with the par- parents of the autistic children. Now imagine an employer sitting down yeah. and having a plan yeah. for your autistic child yeah. who you may or may not you know, have any confidence of will they have a job? Yeah, sure. And will they be able to semi-support themselves? Yeah, Yeah. that's pretty phenomenal. Yes, but she's about to, you know, like every every ounce of money that they would put into that business or support their child is now taken up by employer health tax. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And she's seriously wondering, do I have to lay somebody off? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Joan, um, you've touched on a point that's really passionate for me Mm -hmm. um, as an employer and someone who struggled for many years to even just get my business off the ground. Mm -hmm. I mean, people could look at me today and go, oh, he's a big success story and has done very well, but it's come with a ton of stress and and sacrifice and not always been successful. Um, And one of the things that I always seem to, I seem to observe at the provincial and federal uh, level of, of politics is and from all party lines is oh we want to support small and medium-sized businesses but then when you see whoever's the government of choice at the time getting in um it seems like there people forget about that and it really is the um the small and medium-sized businesses that i believe are the foundation of a good economy Mm-hmm. I mean, the big corporations have such huge balance. I'm talking big, big ones, like big banks and stuff. Mm-hmm. They have such strong mm-hmm. balance sheets. They'll figure it out, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then the small, you know, one-off business owners, I mean, they're really passionate about their particular practice of whatever it might be. But it's the ones that you're talking about right now that mm-hmm. employ 10 to 15 to 20 to 30 people where you have to really take some risks. You know, when you're working for yourself as a trade, and this is no knock against those people that do, like if mm-hmm. you're a tradesperson, mm-hmm. or you're a massage therapist, whatever, you're just a single practice individual, you're kind of using your own labor to mm-hmm. get ahead and you want to do it for yourself as opposed to somebody else. 
it's a, it's a, it's a tough job too, I'm sure, but you're not really taking on the kind of risk that somebody like sets up a restaurant or, you know, or some kind of retail shop or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I guess one of my frustrations, someone who's not uh, been in politics, but I have an interest is like, why is it that, you know, it seems like every single time you get a new government in, in, in place, um, and this particular government, I mean, one of my criticisms is this constant taking of more tax dollars. It's mm -hmm. like, this is not just an endless fountain of money, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I guess, so I don't know if you have any comments on that. And the other, the other, I guess one other point I'll make is that why doesn't anybody in politics ever say, well, why don't we just cut back in certain areas that are absolutely obvious? When I was, had David here last week, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but there's this, um, there's this, um, uh, sort of crown organization it's it called the trade invest bc and um, i've run all sorts of freedom of information requests on this thing to try and mm. dive into the cost that we have of carrying these uh, foreign offices by the province of bc in uh, countries like china and india and the uk and i just don't really understand like i know everybody says oh it's to try and help promote trade but i don't i just don't buy it and you know there's so many ways in which i see the government wasting money i mean this whole thing with the um legislative you know the, the wood chopper or wood splitter and all that kind of stuff right i mean i just be yeah. curious to get your thoughts on on there's my little rant on on this and yeah. and why is it that you know these these business owners cannot seem to get a partnership with the people who are in government and and really get give them some breaks because it's yeah. not an easy yeah. task well there was a lot in that Andrew. yeah sorry <laughs> I just, you set it up and I went with it. There was yeah. a lot in there, but just go back to the small business first of all. Yeah, the people you've just yeah. talked about. So 85% like, yeah. of the businesses in NBC are small businesses, right? And so th those are the people that are employing the one, two, three, four, five people, yeah. right? And yes. so we were a small business. My, my husband and I had a, a surveying company. Mm -hmm. Our kids started working there. All right. their friends yeah. started working there. They all put in a shift and, yeah. and got their letters of recommendation. We weren't a big company, but we were a company that gave people opportunity to get their experience and, and move forward, which is a lot of the retail jobs, so yeah. certainly. Restaurant jobs, uh, sales jobs, um, that is your introduction into the business world and that's how you gain your experience and you m move along in your career, right? Yeah. So they are creating those, those jobs. Mm -hmm. The biggest problem for them is red tape. Sure. And there's more and more red tape being added all the time. Yeah. And, and some governments are worse than others in adding red tape. Yeah. Every time you add another layer of red tape or bureaucracy, you need another one, two, or three people to handle the paperwork. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So growing government is not growing the economy. Yeah. And it is not growing jobs. No. It's only growing people to yeah. handle administrative, self-inflicted, self-imposed yeah. yeah. red tape. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So just getting back to the employer health tax, talking to some of the people that had to fill out the form was unbelievable they they just they to follow it along you have to estimate what you think your sales are going to be over the next six months and you're planning it all out they they said it was just it, it's not like your gst here's yeah. your sales you file yeah. it was all this projection same with the daycares now all of a sudden the daycare operators are doing all the administration 
in 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 the the juggling of the money and who's getting this subsidy and who isn't yeah. and all the paperwork that has to right. come through that they're not paperwork people yeah they didn't want to do that they want to care for children and yes it's a business but they, this is what they want to do now they're spending a whole lot of time so that's like the hidden costs absolutely that a small business has to absorb yeah only because the government created it. Yeah, sure. There's no need for it. And I think the unintended consequence or the unaccept, like what a lot of people don't realize is that if these small business owners are spending so much time trying to now learn all this new paperwork, file all these forms and everything, they're taking time away from creating more. Absolutely. Uh, for the economy. Yeah. Like actually what you want to do, in my view, is just get out of the way as government, yeah. let them make the money that they're going to make by being creative entrepreneurs and then pay their fair share in taxes. And you'll actually have more to work with in yeah. the first place. Yeah, a absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, and we know of daycares that just closed down Yeah, because it was overwhelming. Yeah. And that's not their forte. Yeah, Their sure. forte and the reason they got into this business was because they cared about children yeah. and, and families who, had, who need a child care. So, it, so it, it, it can drive people right out of... As it will, yeah. as we get, like we're at the very early stages of this. Yeah, This is the very early, we just filed the employer health tax. Right. We're just getting to the um, minimum wage increase. We're yeah. just getting to some of the other taxes and sure. 19 of them introduced, right? We're just getting to 19? that. 19? 19 over okay. the last year of yeah. new taxes wow. that the government's brought in. So we're gonna see the effects, it's like, you know, you break your arm today. Yes, you have a broken arm, but for six weeks, you're going to feel it, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Right? And it's not going to go away. Yeah. And depending on what the break is, it may never. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. So it's the same, same kind yeah. of thing. So you make a policy, yeah. it comes into effect, but sometimes the unintended consequences don't actually reveal themselves right away until down the road. Yeah. And we can already see the cracks because we hear from people all the time. Yeah. And we know what it means dollars and cents. Yeah. To their business, time away from their business. Yep. You know the the old adage is, it, you know, don't work on your business, work in your business. Yeah, right. You need to make the difference. Like yeah. you're 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 either strategizing about how to build your business, or you're the technician in your business. That's There's right. a difference. Yeah, and right? when you're spending that all that time, you don't have time to like think about how to grow it, make it better, and eventually more employ more people and make more money. Exactly. To pay more taxes, and you have to get to a yeah. certain critical level. You do. Before you can actually even entertain that. Yeah. Well, as you know, I think, was it the stat, like something like 80% of businesses fail within the first year and 40% yeah. Yeah. fail after two years and yeah. after two, you hopefully have made it. Yeah. But it is yeah. tough. It is very tough. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and I've seen it all the time uh, yeah. where people, you know, mortgage their homes, yeah. take a loan, um, buy inventory, and yeah. they're thinking ahead and there's just, they're so positive. Yeah. Uh, and a year later, you know, they're going yeah. bankrupt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they're really not at that age, uh, many of them, to start to make up those kinds of losses. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, I mean, anybody who goes in bankrupt unless they're like teenagers probably don't, Yeah. Get, you know, it's, it's yeah. not a path that yeah. one wants to go down to. Yeah, so down. free enterprise is the only way to go. Yeah. Where you remove mm. red tape, Yeah. get all the bureaucracy out of the way, Yeah. and let people make good decisions they do you yeah. know, 99% of the time, make good decisions yeah. and uh, let uh, business develop on its own. It yeah. will, because it, it will get its own momentum. Absolutely will, yeah. yeah. Well, I know this was before your time, but I remember one of the things that Christy Clark uh, did, and I had a time when I really liked Christy Clark, and then 
you know, I actually voted, as I told you before, I voted for David, my, mm-hmm. my MLA, because I, and I'd never voted NDP mm-hmm. before because I wasn't happy with the mm-hmm. former liberal government and some of the people that were there. Um, but she had come up with this thing about reducing red tape. She had mm-hmm. a, some kind of policy. She Do you did. know what it was called? Yes. Like a, uh, it was the red tape reduction <clears throat> policy. But, but did it ever actually pan out? I, yes, it did. It did, Yes, huh? yes. And Coralie Oakes, who's uh, in uh, MLA for Quinnell, was uh-huh. actually very instrumental in, in putting that forward. And she worked with the Chamber of Commerce. And, you know, she did a lot of work on that, too. Yeah. It's all creeping back now. Right. Which is unfortunate. Well, you know, um, I'm not... A, I'm not a huge fan of Donald Trump, but like every single politician, I can identify them for their policies and, mm. and be, I can say, I like these and I don't like these. Just because I don't like a politician doesn't mean I have to be critical of all their policies. Right. And there's one that I love by Donald Trump when he came into mm. into becoming president. And it's a policy across all federal agencies, which is for every new regulation that um, some bureaucrat wants to bring in, mm. they have to get rid of two. Mm-hmm. And I had a policy like this when I first met my wife mm. and she had all these shoes and she oh wanted to boy. buy more <laughs> shoes <laughs> and it worked out genius. And the marriage worked, did it? It worked. It worked. Oh, she loved it because we moved in together. She had all these shoes. I'm like, where are we going to put all these shoes? We had a tiny little apartment. I said, I'll tell you what, honey, I'll make you a deal. I'll buy, I'll buy you a new pair of shoes anytime you want, but you got to get rid of two of your old pair. Wow. And she loved it. I loved it too. We had a, it was a, it was a perfect arrangement, <laughs> but it's a neat policy, right? Yeah. Because all it's, I think what it does is it forces these, uh, you know, public servants or bureaucrats who are accustomed to just writing more yeah. and more. I mean, it's yeah. in a way kind of how they, yeah. how they justify their jobs. Right. Yeah. And I feel like the big difference between sort of a socialist uh, government, like say the NDP and a yeah. liberal government like yourselves yeah. is that I'm assuming you guys are a bit more about small government and they're a bit more big government. And the, the people in the middle are the ones that probably lean toward, they like this group because it helps justify their jobs, right? Creating more jobs, creating more bureaucracy, more red tape. And it forces them under that policy that they have to now start to rethink, okay, well, if we're going to write a new piece of policy, uh, a, a, new, a new piece of a bureaucracy, we got to get rid of two old ones. I think it's a, a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a good idea because um, when when people are in government, especially uh, if, if you don't have any um, accountability, right? You just have a job and you just have to have performance yeah. review. Um, it's not like you can be elected and and then the next term you're not elected, right. you're booted out. Yeah. Um, there, it's hard to get accountability measures. It is. Yeah. Uh, and how do you measure accountability measures? Because there are things that need to move forward. And so maybe there isn't uh, two policies that could be tossed because this is another policy that needs to be there. Yeah. That's why it's so important that when you're making policies and adopting new ideas and implementing them, that you really, really think through the unintended consequences. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is why government doesn't move too quickly and shouldn't move too quickly so to, that they really, really hear from people, consult with people. Yeah. Don't just talk to your staffers. You need to talk to a whole lot of other people because yeah. people do tend to just sort of know what their circle is. And, right. and the feedback comes from that bubble. Yeah. And you need to go outside of that. And that's why I say on the doorstep, yeah. it's it's the best experience to yeah. find out what's really happening yeah. with people. Yeah. So it's interesting that during the... 215 by election, there was one issue. What was it? And it was the Evergreen Line. Okay. We got to have transportation out there. And it was like on every doorstop, we got to have transportation. I, my kids are, they have no way of getting downtown, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so it came. So 
the next issue after it was there was the feeder buses. So to get off the mountain and and, uh, Burke Mountain or or Westwood Plateau, the buses didn't run frequently enough to get people down to the hub to get onto SkyTrain. So they kind of worked that out with the city and so on. So when we got to 2017, it's like, what is the issue? (laughs) We got that big one (laughs) knocked off. But of course it was housing affordability and my kids want to live here and they have no chance of giving... Uh, you know, having a, a home here and buying a home and yeah, yeah, and so on. And well, but it, what, what's really interesting yeah. about that is when I was door knocking up in Burke Mountain. So there's some very lovely homes up there, yeah. uh, upscale homes, and um, uh, sometimes grandparents would answer the door, and they would say to me that they offered to help finance their grandkids' house. They would lend them some money. Yeah. So they could get in the house, provided they followed a budget. Wow! And they Great. didn't want them eating out three and four nights a week. Yeah, they they had terms to the uh, loan. Yeah, and the kids refused it. Really? 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 They weren't willing really. to make the they sacrifice. They were not willing to change their life even for a house. Amazing! <laughs> wow! Well, yeah. So when you go back, whole, it yeah. is it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, and we and, could go and, into a whole other subject about yeah. yes. And you go back to you know when we bought a house. Yeah. I mean, uh, or even when you just moved out to your first apartment. Yeah. It was you know mason blocks and wood. Hundred percent. Yeah. Right. That was yeah. our TV stand and our book stand. Yeah. And it was you know Auntie Betty's mattress and Auntie Minnie's yeah. uh, uh, dining room table, and that that's how you set up house. Yeah. And then when you moved into your first house, you kind of had that too. Yeah. And it was over time. Exactly. You got all these things. Yeah. But right now it's like you move in ready, yeah. turnkey, and yeah. pretty Everything nice. New. Yeah. Pretty yeah. nice. Yeah, it's a whole another topic we get into yeah. <laughs> about the millennials. Um, okay, well, let's, we're going to take a quick break with okay. Joan Isaacs, and this is actually a great segue. Not not about the young people and their all their new stuff they need, but actually, you talked about afford, affordable housing and that type of thing. And we have this article here about this woman who helped. Uh, you had, to, or I think you advocated for her. Uh, she was a widow, uh, a seventy eight year old widow who was being hit with the speculation tax and. It's been a theme I've talked with almost everybody that's come in here. Mm. Um, if, uh, so I want to spend a few minutes talking about that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come sure. back, we're going to talk about this topic. Okay. Okay, back with Joan, Isa- Joan Isaacs in a moment. Thanks, Sounds Joan. Sounds good. Great here. We're back with Joan Isaacs. Uh, we're going to wrap this up soon. Joan, has been a great podcast so far. Uh, but I do want to jump into this uh, This really uh, well talked about and one that's important to me, which is this uh, speculation and vacancy tax. Mm-hmm. And... Um, one of the ways and we and the way we connected was actually through Neil Belenke, who was here a couple of weeks ago. He's the mayor of Belcara. He's very uh, uh, vocal about how his constituents and his uh, municipal environment are being hit with this tax. And uh, and you supported you support sort of the challenges that he's you know he's he's challenging the provincial government on. But why Belcara is even part of this doesn't make any sense. Um, so whether it's that topic and, and Belcare, it's not even actually your riding. I don't, are mm-hmm. those people, are they part of your riding? They're not part of no. my riding. They're <laughs> one of those boroughs. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, the my my constituent um, uh, that actually brought this to my attention yeah. uh, lives in Burke Mountain oh, as okay. well as Belcara. Okay. And uh, he has a cabin in Belcara okay. uh, and a house in um, Burke Mountain. Okay. And his cabin is actually his primary residence. Okay. 
and he bought it as um, just a a small little rustic place with a little bit of acreage um, because he has um, a daughter that has some challenges and it was a place that she felt really happy and and um, protected there and so they they spent most of their time there okay but her programs were in Port Coquitlam okay and so he was doing a the the drive every day which can be a half an hour to, to 40 minutes right. and a couple of times a day so he ended up buying a house in uh, Burke Mountains just so that his wife could uh, transport her back and forth to the programs and then come home at the end of the day and yeah. on weekends. So um, when he came to tell me about the spec tax, uh, his bill that he was looking at, and he's a pensioner, was $45,000 a year. Holy smokes. Yeah, $45,000 after tax for a pensioner. And there was no way he could sell his Belcara home yeah. because that was but his wait, principal. He must have a very highly assessed value of a home then I mean, well it, well Bur- burke mountain would be highly excess but the yeah. property in belcara had gone from you know 30 40 000 to yeah. a few million yeah uh, right. just because it was on the the lake so right. by no fault of his own it wasn't yeah. an investment it certainly wasn't a speculation he bought it 30 years ago i think it yeah. was so it's it's not like he was buying the property um to turn it around for a yeah. profit at some point he bought it for a specific reason right so he was hit very hard and then um uh he was telling me that there were a number of people in belcara that had similar situations where they had cabins some of them were um not even accessible by yeah. road it had to be through uh by a boat yeah that's what neil had talked about yeah, yeah. boat it, access yes only. yeah not some of them not even insurable yes yeah. so um my my constituent put me in touch with um neil and of course i hit it off with neil uh <laughs> right away because yeah. we were on the same path like why are these people being punished yeah they're not speculators sure you know and you know what andrew a simple little question like have you held this property for, for less than, than five years right pick a number easy two years yeah. but whatever it is if the answer is yes i've held this property for more than five yeah. years you're not a speculator yeah end of story sure instead all these people had to go through all this grief yeah and um you know provide information that they felt they didn't need to provide including yeah. social insurance numbers right and this one particular uh woman who was in in my constituency uh, she was a widow, recent widow, um, had been widowed in September. Her husband made all these decisions. And so her and a few other widows that lived in the same complex were all talking about what are they going to do? How are they going to manage? You know, they want their social insurance number. They've been told never to give their social insurance number. So she ended up calling me and we ended up helping her through the process. And really what happened with her uh, and many others came to our attention after that is it takes some time for an estate to settle. It takes some time to do a name change yeah. uh, from a house uh, in joint names to the surviving spouse. Yeah. And she got caught up in the uh, spouse uh, who was deceased. His name was still on the title. And when she phoned to ask how she should handle it um, and said that he's not he's not even here, he's deceased, yeah. um, the other end of the call said, he's going to have to pay anyway. <laughs> and she was in tears. Right. And we were laughing. How, how do we do it? Yes. What a horrible situation. It was a terrible her. situation. She yeah. was so frightened. Yeah, sure. And she was literally shaking on the phone of, I don't know what to yeah. do. And, and the person basically said to her, madam, you will have to pay. 
you know, you never talk yeah. to a senior like that anyways, no. but you should never talk to anybody yeah. like that. Yeah. So it was a very frightening experience for yeah. her. Um, but we managed to get it solved because yeah. uh, we could work with the uh, land title office and have it uh, changed. But, yeah. you know, it's a it's a big deal yeah. to change these kinds of things. And for seniors in particular. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. And and many of the people in Belcara, their cottages um, have been in the family for years, some yeah. of them 60 years. Yeah. Um, being passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. And they're seniors. Yeah. And yeah, they're, they're not, not speculators. speculators. No, not at all. And they, they and, really and good felt luck trying offended. trying to rent them too if they're vacant. Oh, yes. access only, can't be insured. They're yeah. thin walls. They're yeah. thin walls. And, and the people, you know, the comment that got me the most, um, knowing that I, I had relatives that had cabins too. Yeah. Um, it is their home. It's yeah. their summer home. They've got sure. their stuff in it. Yeah. And they'd have to move all their stuff out yeah. and have someone else put their stuff in the house that's been right. theirs for 60 years. Yeah, sure. It's like very offensive. Yeah. yeah and, I, not, and not practical at all. No, not at all. So they. So you, it you, should have been exempted. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I think Neil agrees. Yeah. And Neil's done a fantastic yeah. job in, yeah. uh, you know, what a great mayor. Yeah. He, he is fighting, fighting, fighting for those yeah. people. Now let's dial the speculation vacancy tax back to your the core of your constituency and like you you, you know you represent uh areas where you t- at the beginning of our podcast talked about you know affordable housing development um what are your thoughts is this is this thing working out for people in your riding as far as like is it freeing up homes that it ha- otherwise wouldn't have i don't you're, you're see not, anything. you're not seeing no. it happen no 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 no, no. And how, how come there's no vacant, there's, no vacant there's no, properties. No, like there's, no. There's no no uh, people from overseas buying houses. There, and well, you know what? There's a couple of uh, people uh, that have uh, contacted us. Uh, one in particular who bought a condo in uh, Coquitlam. Yeah. Uh, with the intention of moving here at some point, still working in the UK. Okay. Um, the uh, daughter and son, uh, son-in-law, are in another condo. Um, they're having a grandchild soon. And so these people wanted to move in and have that place available. They just bought it a few years before. Okay, come visit and uh, see yes, their and grandchild. they stay. Yeah, uh, periodically for yeah. when they take their holidays. Sure. And um, they couldn't believe they're being charged speculation tax. Two percent. And they're not speculators. They bought this yeah. so they could be close to their daughter and son-in-law and grandchild right. when they finish retiring. <clears throat> in the meantime, they use it for vacation. Mm-hmm. So there are stories like that. And uh, we hear a lot about uh, people that says, I can't rent it out because my bylaw says I can't rent uh, to anyone or it's a, a age um, restricted building. So yeah. you have to be 50 plus. So that leaves a lot of people out of the yeah. market. So it, it's fraught with a whole bunch of yeah. complications that are, again, these unintended consequences yeah. that really could have been avoided yeah. by just kind of thinking the process through a little bit better yeah. and making sure that you really were targeting the speculators. So how would you have written the policy? Would you, if you Well, one of the things yeah. was, as I, I definitely would have said, how long have you held this property? Right. Because right there, by virtue of that, yeah. you either are a speculator or you're not. Yeah, if point. you held it for less than a year, and I don't know what the number would be, would but be, if you held right. it for less than a year, maybe yeah. you are a speculator. Yeah. Um, if you're renovating the property <laughs> with the intent to sell, maybe you are. Yeah. Uh, if you're holding on to the property for the market to go up, maybe you are. Um, but if you're holding it because you're going to move somewhere mm-hmm. from somewhere else and then uh, take up residence in the property and yeah. that's your intention, then you're not a speculator but you were deemed to be a speculator. Yeah. 
Right. So yeah. a, a few more pointed questions, I think, could have been better. Yeah. Um, I also had big concerns with the social insurance number and yeah. taking that data uh, because it, it was not necessary. Yeah. You know, your social insurance number has nothing to do with your real estate transaction. Well, isn't the social insurance number expected to tie in with this new thing that's coming, I think, in the fall, which is the beneficial ownership uh, registration? Um, I talked about it with David, and apparently they're going to have a public registry where everybody will be able to see who owns what. Um, I mean, you can kind of do it now with land title, but it costs yeah. money and it's not yeah. very, it's yeah. pretty cumbersome and yeah. you have to have an account set up with BC yeah. Online and whatnot. But um, I I mean, I do agree. I mean, th- to me, it's a, a bit of a double-edged sword. Like, I guess the advantage of the social insurance number is then you get to see who truly, who are the owners of these properties? I mean, there's a lot of talk about that the mainland Chinese have driven up prices and, you know, this foreign money has driven up prices, but nobody really knows because there's no registry. But then if you have a public mm-hmm. registry, you have to collect all this data. It's kind of a bit of a, a challenge to figure yeah. out that answer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if that's the answer or yeah. if it's a tick. Yeah. You know, are you a permanent resident? Do you live here for more than six months? Do you live right. here for less than six months? I think Good there's point. other ways yeah. of getting the information. Instead of giving up yourself. Yeah. And so we're talking about yeah. a small portion of the population yeah. that may be in that category. Yeah. We're talking about the rest of the population that are not. Yeah. And they had to file in the same way yeah. as if you were possibly in that category. And yeah. I think that is the issue. That's the way, yeah. That was offensive to people. Yeah. It's like, I, I feel like I have to report my personal information yeah. when I'm not a speculator. I admit I had to, and I didn't yeah. like it. Yeah. It felt yeah. kind of odd. Yeah. You know? Yeah. First of all, it felt odd because I thought the government would have it anyways, but it makes sense that they don't because they're provincial government, yes. federal yeah. government. And they're asking you for information yeah. about a different yeah. jurisdiction, or yeah. I guess you would say. Yes. And yeah. people are rightfully concerned about their privacy. Um, well, especially today. I with mean, Desjardins? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah exactly. Desjardins. Yeah. I mean, good heavens. Well, everything. I mean, I think it was just like a couple of weeks ago. Like, you know, always, it's like almost every week there's like a Google's had a breach. Facebook's yeah. had a breach. I mean, I got to think that probably the province of BC at some point is going to have a breach. Yeah. And they have a lot more data now than they yeah. did before. Yeah. Um, and this was this was in Desjardins' case, an yeah. employee that released it. Right, that's right. So how do you manage that? Yeah. If someone's going to go off the rails yeah. and not follow the rules, they're yeah. going to do it. You yeah. can't really legislate that. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So. so you're not seeing the speculation vacancy tax really having any kind of the impact it's intended to have in your writing at least. No, because I'm more of a bedroom yeah. uh, community. And uh, I think uh, for, for some of the people that I know that have yeah. uh, cottages and that they're not in the areas that were captured okay they're in exempted areas so okay. they were they were lucky yeah uh that you know like pit river right there's a lot of cabins up there pit, and they but pit they were lake, exempted uh, harrison lake yeah. yeah okay yeah they were exempted well before we wrap that's, this that's yeah. that's the other concern what, is you know that? when you're capturing areas yeah. and you you need revenue because we know the revenue is down yeah it's then um will that area expand to a new area Right. And so they may have learned a few lessons, mm-hmm. but um, when you have a government that is wants to create revenue, and the only way of creating that revenue is through a taxation stream, mm-hmm. then you have to have that concern of whether or not your property that's exempt now will end up paying speculate, speculation L- tax somewhere down the road. Later on, or a different yeah. type of tax. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is actually a, one great, another great segue into like, let's just finish, before we finish yeah. this, I wanted to ask you, are there other things that, as the you know official opposition in BC, um, and someone who's obviously really you know t- 
taking this seriously in your early career as a politician, mm -hmm. are there any other things that you see on the horizon with the current NDP government that you want to address, that you want to kind of speak about, that you're like, you know what, this is, pay attention folks, there's a red flag here, I don't, I, I, you know, keep our eyes on this one. Is there anything in particular? Yeah, you know what, I would say the community benefit agreement. Okay. And, and this, this, there's, there's kind of two things. So the community benefit agreement yeah. is, is basically, you know, and you, you hear it on the news, you know, how great it is. We're going to hire locals. Yeah. We're going to hire Aboriginals. We're going to hire women. Well, yeah. we already do do that. Yeah. We can already you, maybe do for that. just layman's terms, can you explain to the folks who are listening what the community benefit agreement is? So this is um, the NDP mm -hmm. uh, agreement, uh, whereby uh, companies that are bidding for projects will bid through this community benefit agreement. Uh -huh. um, there are only three, uh, or sorry, nineteen unions that are um, in this captured in this uh, community benefit agreement. So if you're a union that are outside of those 19 unions, you can bid, but within 30 days, you have to join one of those 19 unions. Really? Really. So many, many And if you're not union? Can't bid. You can't bid? No, it's for community benefit uh, agreements. So you have to be one of those 19 unions okay. in order to uh, bid on a project and and you can you can bid on a project yeah. you can get a project yeah. but within 30 days you, you have, have to, to join one of those unions the, I gotta assume the, that these unions were big donors for the NDP and they were okay yeah and yeah. they were and uh, but what happens now is it just drives up the cost sure so everything that was sort of on the books yeah. per se, uh, infrastructure wise, Petula yeah. Bridge, some of the work in uh, Revelstoke, some of the work on the uh, highways, it's 25 to 35% more now for the same job. Wow. And it's of course, because now we have to pay different wages. Right. Um, they will say it's, uh, we're training, we're, you know, apprenticing, we're doing all these good things, yeah. but all the other unions do that too. Yeah. And, and so do the non-unions. Yeah. So it's the best working uh, uh, formula is a combination yeah. where you have a blend of different workers and sure. you have a project and you see the project through. And of course, yeah. there's always some cost variances because if, if you ever renovated a house, you open up a wall and it's like, oh, we didn't know that was there. It's going to yeah. cost more, right? Yeah. So you know there's going to be some variance. Yeah. But when you're starting off with just wage yeah. variance, and, and benefits, then it's not competitive anymore. Yeah. And you and I are paying for it. Sure. So that's one issue I have. Well, you also know about. that if you're kind of an exclusive group, why would you focus on keeping your costs down and being competitive? I mean, you know, if you're only one of 19, yeah. you know, oh, it's, yeah, it's absolutely. almost sort of an oligopoly. I mean, and it is, and it's, it's that point again about accountability. Yeah. If you're the only one bidding. Yeah. Take advantage of it. Absolutely. And I why mean, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. So it, it does okay. sort so of that one's keep things. That's a big one. And is that in place today, Joan? That is in place today. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And these are for big infrastructure projects that the yes. province is yes. going to be yes. spending money on. Yeah. Okay. One of the steel companies took out a full page ad in the Globe and Mail in February. Okay. And wrote down all the reasons why this is the wrong thing to so do. So they weren't one of the 19 unions. No, they weren't. Yeah. And I have a, a another um, uh, friend uh, who has a company, a crane company in Coquitlam. He's been doing this work for 30 years and he was excluded. Hmm. 
Amazing. For 30 years. For 30 years, contributing to the local economy, yeah. creating jobs, yeah. paying yeah. taxes. So he worked it out by piggybacking bid. now on another union. Okay. But that's not the way to do no. it. That's not a competitive, that's yeah. that's that's kind of like, uh, you know, yeah. It's not just it's not just, a, it's not a clean way of doing no. doing business. What's the, the other one? The other thing is um, the um, healthcare um, workers and uh, in particular the home support workers that were independently uh, contracted to provide services and support for seniors living in their home. Okay. So it used to be that you could deal with them directly. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And um, if you like their service, great. If you didn't, you move on. Uh, that has all now moved into the health authorities. Okay. So we just created a bigger bureaucracy, another hierarchy level to get the same service for seniors. Hmm. And it's going to cost more. And the other more. program was already working. And it's going to cost more. It's going to cost more. Well, there's the shortage of work. Yeah. There's no question about that. Yeah. Um, there are There is turnover. There's no question about yeah. that. And that there's burnout and there's yeah. all kinds of things. I think we had, we were better off to support that um, industry, if you like, yeah. or support um, the workers there so that they had the proper resources to provide for seniors. Yeah. That would have been a better measure. Uh, but they need people to do that. Yeah. Um, but taking those services and running it through the health authority just created a big, huge problem. And so I know they're tracking data uh, and, uh, you know, people are are quite concerned about how they're tracking data and what it really means in terms of somebody's life. Sure. I need someone to come at five o'clock, you know, to get a dinner ready or to put someone to bed or to get someone up in the morning. Um, those are serious lifestyle issues yeah. that, you know, when you get into a complicated bureaucratic system, it's not efficient anymore. No. And those things get delayed or lost or, yeah. and, and people get affected. Yeah. yeah. And so it compromises someone's well being, yeah. their stress level, their anxiety yeah. for not only the person that it's happening to, but also their family members. Yeah. Right. So I think, I think, uh, Growing government again, being a yeah. bigger bureaucracy is not the answer. Yeah. I, I think there's ways we could have improved and should be improving and, and new ways and more creative ways of helping that sector yeah. to provide for seniors because I think it's going to be a necessity because they can't all be in acute beds right. later, <laughs> right? So we need that preventative thing. Yeah. And we need people understanding that um, gen, uh, elder care uh, geriatric care is specialized even when they get to the hospital and we need more people there that are more in tuned and sensitive to what the needs of elders are. Yeah. 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 But I think yeah. there's a way of getting there. Yeah. Um, but it's not through bigger it's, government. It's not through bigger government. Yeah. We will never get there. I don't think that way because yeah. now you've just got a big bureaucracy to deal with. Yeah. And more costs. And more costs. They get passed on to the baker yes. who had 60 employees and now has... Yes. 80 employees and now has 60. Yes. Yeah. 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 It all ties together. Well, and you know, they, they, they did increase their prices and others have too, but there comes a point where yeah. how much are you going to pay for a hamburger? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. You, you know, 15. It, okay. Are you yeah. going to pay 20? Yeah. Are you going to pay 25 not. next yeah. year? I mean, at some point it's, it's just people won't even go out. That's right. And yeah. we're seeing that now is yeah. people, the restaurants are, are reporting that there's less, uh, 
people coming in yeah. and, and, and you see it all over the place yeah, yeah they yeah. have restaurants closing down because yeah they can't increase their prices anymore and they yeah. can't keep enough staff yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so free enterprise all the way yeah well joan thanks for being here today this has been great to come all the way down from uh from Coquitlam, Burke Mountain, and I appreciate you taking the time to come and see me today. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thanks. All the best. Good. Thank you. Thanks. Nice seeing you. (laughs) Yeah.